Hello there, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPEL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. And we do have breaking sports news. Team USA advances in the 2022 World Cup. That just happened moments ago. In fact, I held off on sending the show notes through Substack, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Until I had that confirmed because I wanted you guys to get it in your emails immediately. Team USA wins in a 1-0 victory over Iran. And uh, Iran and their team is actually in the news a bit. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard actually threatened the players and their families if they didn't, quote, behave before today's game, meaning they didn't say anything that would be uh, subversive to the regime in charge in Iran. Um, But um, Iran's soccer team goes down. They are now knocked out of of, uh, continuing on. The U.S. and England will continue on. The U.S. will be taking on, I believe it's the top seed from Group A, and that would be the Netherlands. So the Team USA taking on the Netherlands, uh, that game will come soon, but the U.S. with a big victory over Iran here, and that one goal came toward the end of the first half when uh, Christian Pulisic basically makes a sacrifice play, gets the ball, gets it into the goal, uh, crashes into the goalie after uh, taking his shot. He uh, doesn't come back out for the second half. There's some abdominal injuries there. Hopefully he's healed and back in because he's just a stellar offensive weapon for Team USA. Now, 232-1542, if you want to call in and be part of the conversation, lots to talk about today. I want to start with the cult of Diet Coke. Have you heard about the cult of Diet Coke? The right wing, the evil cult, it's only unsavory people who like Diet Coke. Did you know that? Yesterday, Elon Musk tweets out a picture of his bedside table there is a revolver, a flintlock pistol, four half, probably half-drunk cans of caffeine-free Diet Coke, and a clear lack of coasters, which is the thing that bothered me. He has no coasters on his bedside table, so there's just rings everywhere from where those cans have been. But uh, he tweeted this out just to kind of tweak the left a little bit, you know, the anti-gun left that already hates him for buying their platform, which is Twitter. Uh, he tweeted that out, and so there have been... News stories that have come out, uh, some left-wing sites, Slate and some others, uh, Gawker, have tweeted, oh, the worst thing about this is the Diet Coke, or yeah, it makes sense that a dweeb like Elon Musk would be drinking Diet Coke or whatever. But this, this particular passage comes from the Washington Post. In the food section of the Washington Post, Elon Musk and the hardcore cult of Diet Coke, this is actually a thing. Elon Musk, the world's richest human, might be completely unrelatable in most ways. Who among us can buy a $44 billion company on a whim or build a rocket ship to Mars because they liked reading science fiction as a kid? But hey, he's got at least one thing common with the common man. Musk on Monday tweeted a photo of his nightstand, which bore an odd array of items, including two non-firing replica guns, a Buddhist amulet, and four open cans of caffeine-free Diet Coke. And the the story goes on. This is the bit that I want to read you. 
Diet Coke's profile has ebbed and flowed since it was introduced in 1982. It has survived the four decades since from its de- de- uh, designation as the in quaff of Hollywood through its ri- through the rise of bottled water past its association as a mom drink. Even now, its packaging defies the trend away from products labeled as diet. The currently preferred nomenclature is zero sugar. And concern about its health effects, a New York Times story last year about a former addict was titled I Was Powerless Over Diet Coke. Its can was briefly slenderized to better appeal to millennials. Now it's back to its regular shape. In 2018, the New Yorker stuck a fork in the Diet Coke phenomenon, citing it as evidence of unsavory or citing as evidence its unsavory acolytes, including former President Donald Trump and Harvey Weinstein. It is, the magazine declared, the elixir of soft-bodied plutocrats desperate to shed their shady past and possibly a few pounds. Now, on its face, this is just a harmless little write-up in the Washington Post food section. But look at it. It's attempting to tie Donald Trump, Harvey Weinstein, and Elon Musk together. At the expense of a drink that is undoubtedly better than the classic version. Let's just get that out of the way. Diet Coke tastes better than regular Coke. If you disagree with me, I'm sorry, but you are more than likely wrong. I know that taste is subjective, but Diet Coke is just objectively better. It's the real sugar in, in, in classic Coke. It, it tastes almost metallic once you've had the Diet Coke. Diet Coke, the sweetness is more pleasant. Anyway, all that aside, the caffeine-free version, I think, is a questionable choice. I, I don't know why you would drink uh, a can of Coke if it doesn't have caffeine. I mean, the caffeine's the point. But the attempt to tie Donald Trump, Harvey Weinstein, and Elon Musk together as evidence that Diet Coke is some bad thing, I think is worst. I think it's the absolute worst. Um, I mean, I've, I've had members of my family who drink the caffeine-free Diet Coke, and it doesn't make them evil. But anyway, the media is just really angry that Elon Musk bought their plaything, which is Twitter and its platform, and it's changing it. It's giving more access to regular people. Regular people can spend $8 a month. I don't know why you would, but regular people can spend $8 a month to be verified on Twitter. For the record, I am verified on Twitter, but I didn't pay anything for it. That was before the whole change. And now apparently they're doing some color-coded verification where like reporters and, and, and celebrities, they get one color and people who buy it get another. And, it's, and news agencies get another. It's all weird. Anyway, the media is very mad about this. The media is very, very upset that their plaything, their platform, Twitter, has been bought and taken private by Elon Musk. And he has gone... Uh, he's, he's going out and he is unbanning people who were banned because they said things the left did like. Now, yes, some of them deserved to be banned because they were horrible people. But as more and more information comes out, the bannings were ideologically very one-sided. And Elon Musk is exposing that. But there's something that Elon Musk is doing that old Twitter never did. Old Twitter never really went very hard against child sex trafficking and child pornography. It was all over their website if you knew where to look. There were hashtags that were signals from buyers and sellers as to where you needed to go, which account you needed to go to to look at, buy, and see whatever it is they were selling. 
Twitter never cracked down on it. Within weeks of Elon Musk buying the platform, those hashtags were banned. You cannot find them. It makes it that much harder for those buyers and sellers to go find each other. In an instant, you have child sex trafficking uh, and child pornography pretty much taking a huge, uh, a huge hit they can't come back from on social media. And advocates, people raising awareness about the problem on Twitter, have all been celebrating for the last week, week and a half because of the moves Twitter has made on this. And that's after Elon Musk took over. The, uh, the traditional overlords of Twitter never really did, paid a lot of lip service to it, never did anything about it. Elon Musk has made that change. But the fact that right-wing voices can actually have a platform and not have to worry about something they say being automatically banned, the left is furious about it. The media is furious about it. You can see them melting down over it when nothing on Twitter has changed. Twitter is still a dystopian hell site. You really shouldn't be there. I have to be in order to promote the stuff that I write and say on the air and everything like that. But really, no one should be on Twitter. But if you are on Twitter, nothing's changed, except that journalists and leftists are, are crying a lot more because Elon Musk bought it. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, let's go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, we'll have more on this and the coming railroad strike. What is happening there? I'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Now, I know some of you out there listening are students, your teachers, uh, Whatever it is, you need to get in touch with your school and you need to say, this is the most patriotic moment uh, in recent memory. We, as a society, should cancel school tomorrow because Team USA is advancing to the knockout round of the World Cup. Everybody needs a break. Everybody needs to be able to celebrate tomorrow because this is a huge thing. And I truly think it's in the best interest of everybody to just have a day off from school and to enjoy that. Anyway, 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the conversation. Now, I will say, uh, despite my cheerleading of Diet Coke, our one true savior is Fresca. Fresca is the drink. That's, that's, I will drink Diet Coke because we keep it at the house because my wife drinks it. I like Fresca, however. That's my go-to drink. It makes me mad that there are not fountain versions at any restaurant you go to, but we buy Fresca for my house, and it stays in the, in the fridge. And anybody who takes a Fresca without asking is severely punished at the Cunningham household. Anyway, you can also send a message to the KPL app if you would like to, uh, to be part of the conversation. Now, the, the big thing here, the big thing here is the left is really just kind of losing its mind. And it's not just Twitter. That, that's kind of part of it. But... There's a deeper problem for them. When you go and you look at the red wave that wasn't, you know, a lot of people upset because Carrie Lake didn't win, uh, Blake Masters didn't win, Adam Laxalt didn't win, all these sorts of things. But when you look past those statewide candidates, the ones that faltered a bit in those states, you look behind them. Arizona had a huge sweep in its legislature. It has a Republican legislature. It, it won several seats there. In New York, Lee Zeldin didn't win, but several congressional seats got flipped to the Republican Party. In uh, North Carolina, uh, Ted Budd was, ran behind some of the other Republicans, but Republicans did very well there. Ron DeSantis, Brian Kemp, Greg Abbott, 
all three of those governors did very well. There were good signs for the Republicans there. And part of that exit polling data, part of the data that came out of that campaign, it's another sign that the left is really declining in terms of their influence. Because the left has gone too far to the left, they've now pushed a lot of moderate voters a little more conservative. They're not going to go out and, and, and switch to the Republican Party, but there are a lot of moderate and independent and even some center-left Democrats who look at people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who look at things like pushing all of the transgender stuff to its extreme, pushing the abortion issue to its extreme, and they're not really on board with that. And so as a counter to that, they start voting for the Republicans for something a little more moderate. Now, why did they not go for some of these candidates? Well, I mentioned it before. A lot of these candidates, based on the endorsements and some of the rhetoric they were saying, they had ties to the past. They were saying things. They were fighting past battles in some of their rhetoric. The American voter right now is looking for a path forward. They're looking for someone who's focused on the future. Ron DeSantis has been focused on his state. In fact, let me find this real quick. Um, Here's a tale of two public comments. And I'm going to say this knowing some of you are going to be mad at me for the way that I'm portraying this. But please listen. This is Donald Trump this morning on Truth Social, his social media network. I was 232 and 22 in the midterm elections and still have to listen to Dems, Rhinos, and the fake news explain how poorly I did. Without my endorsement of Republican candidates, the numbers would have been a disaster. Same for 2018 and the corrupt election of 2020, where almost everyone won because uh, and with the help of me, except me. And that's because the presidential election was rigged and stolen. That's Donald Trump on Truth Social this morning. Donald Trump barely won Florida in 2020. Here we are in 2022. And here's Ron DeSantis today. China's zero-COVID policy is draconian, it violates people's liberties, and it is completely unscientific. The people in China are finally speaking out. We need these draconian COVID policies to go to the ash heap of history where they belong. Ron DeSantis is focused on the present, and Donald Trump and the people that he was supporting were focused on the past. Now, yes, a lot of the candidates that Donald Trump endorsed did win, but a lot of those weren't in very competitive districts. In the very competitive districts and the states, they faltered. They ran behind Republicans. They ran behind the ones who were focused on the present and the future. And now the Republican Party is going to attempt to come up with an autopsy. If you've never heard the term before, it's a political term that the parties like to use to essentially diagnose what went wrong in an election cycle. The Republican National Committee is commissioning a review of party tactics after a disappointing midterm, a midterm they should have done much better in. Now, at the head of the RNC is Ronna Romney McDaniel, somebody who has overseen three terrible election cycles for the Republican Party, and yet she still wants a job. The Republican autopsy should include, well, we kept Ronald Romney McDaniel too long. That should be at the top of the list. You need new leadership at the top of the party. You also need to look at the tactics of not focusing 
on crime, on all of these issues that the people actually cared about. But some candidates were pushing into second place ahead uh, behind the, the past battles that they kept fighting. The Republican Party is in desperate need of something new. I don't know how many times I have to say, but every story that comes out just further vindicates this. Now, there are a lot of people vying for the job of RNC chair. I'm going to talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show after this bottom of the hour news break right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. So uh, welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. Once again, um, if you are a stakeholder in the school system, I highly encourage you to uh, demand that you get a day off tomorrow for this momentous patriotic day where the U- Team USA is advancing to the knockout round of the World Cup. And I know some of you some of you may disagree with me and think we're out of school too much. You should thank your lucky stars that the severe weather didn't force a school closure today. But um, it's really, really kind of important that we actually do celebrate the World Cup stuff because I, I know not everybody likes soccer. Um, I don't. I love it, but we we have. I mentioned this yesterday. We have so little opportunity to actually come together and actually celebrate something. We didn't pay attention to the Olympics very much, did we? I don't. Rem- I I did not pay a whole lot of attention to the Olympics. Nobody I talked to paid a whole lot of attention to the Olympics. We just mostly ignored it. But we need these these come together patriotic moments. But anyway, speaking of coming together, the rail unions seem to be coming together with one idea in mind, and that idea is to be mad at Joe Biden. Biden has played himself up to be this the, the most pro-union president out there. And it's just one thing after another. Like He's talked about how pro-union he is, and he he came to the table and he worked with the uh, he worked with the unions to try to come to an agreement before the midterm so he could uh, so he could avoid a railway strike. And it's fallen through. Four of the eleven unions are not going to approve this uh, agreement, so it's not going to go through. And a lot of the union members really don't like it, and they feel betrayed by Joe Biden because Joe Biden is now calling on Congress. To pass, a, to, to pass a bill to basically force the agreement through. My colleague at Red State, Brittany Sheehan, has a great piece that she wrote last night. It's up on redstate.com. Why Biden's call on Congress to block rail strikes is off the rails. You should read the whole thing, but here's, here's the excerpt that I want you to take to heart. If this was an illegal strike, it would be adjudicated by the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB. But it is indeed the right of the bargaining unit to strike fully legal and codified, and other rail unions would likely join in solidarity. There is no fault on the workers or unions whatsoever. They have a vote in the matter, and they voted against the agreement. They are all acting appropriately per the rules of the game, the laws and regulations that have long been established. And per the last roughly 100 years of labor dogma, in short, 
We knew they were going to strike. They have cause and legal ground, and they would probably get their sick days too. What is hyper-irregular, Brittany goes on, what is hyper-irregular is for the government, specifically Congress, to act enforcing a private contract. Under the Rail Labor Agreement, courts can enjoin a strike under specific circumstances. Instead, both the executive branch and the Democratic congressional leadership are preemptively derailing a right to strike and making up their own private contracts with the force of federal law. This has huge implications, some unfathomable at first blush. It means private contracts are subject to the preferences of lawmakers and executive attitudes. It means that collective bargaining is a mere veneer for what would be best for those in Washington at any given time. It means private commerce and agreements are at the pleasure of the crown and are in reality public-private partnerships in some sort of neo-feudalism. And Brittany's exactly right on this. See, what's happening right now is that four of these 11 unions at the negotiating table have outright rejected the terms. A lot of the workers have problems with various aspects, but four of the unions have just straight up walked away. And these were terms put forward by Joe Biden, by his White House. What's more, a large segment of the unionized workforce opposes them, and they feel betrayed, like I said, by Joe Biden. Biden believes himself to be the most pro-union president in history, but here he is trying to force Congress, or trying to get Congress to force an agreement that the unions don't like, through the legislative branch. Completely sidestepping the negotiation process. It's not just the unions, though. It's not just the union workers. There are Democrat politicians who are outright opposed to this because they know the implications here. Imagine, if you will, that you are a pro-union Democrat. And your union is trying to negotiate a better contract with whatever company you're working for. Now imagine that a Republican administration comes in and says, you have to agree to this. And you say no. And that Republican administration gets a Republican Congress to call in and say, we're going to pass a law. You have to, we're, we're going to make this agreement a permanent thing. Democrat politicians understand that the government getting involved in these negotiations forcefully in this particular way is a bad idea. If the union if the unions aren't in aren't in charge of the negotiation, why even bother having the unions? Why not just say all the workers belong? To the government. And at the government's whim, the workers have to go work. And if the government believes the workers have a claim, then the government will handle it. Don't even need the unions now. That's where this can feasibly head. Because Biden, in an effort to try to save face and prevent an economic crisis, is going to force through an agreement that the union workers that voted for him do not want. Joe Biden is making a 
fundamental mistake here. And Nancy Pelosi is going along with it. The Democratic leadership is going along with it because the alternative, and I can't believe that the Biden administration is making me side with unions, but here we are. The alternative is that we do have a railroad strike and it does cause economic pain. But you know what? The process as it's established will work. The process as it's meant to be will work. And if Joe Biden inserts the federal government, inserts the legislative branch into it, all of that work by these private organizations, the unions and the rail companies, all of the work that they put into making these agreements happen, none of it matters anymore. There's no point for a union to ever go and negotiate. There's no point for a company to go negotiate with a union. They can just go talk to the federal government. They can just send a bunch of lobbyists to the government and say, hey, these people are going to strike if you don't force them to take our terms. Again, you have to understand part of what the Democrats have been getting so wrong in recent years is that they go for unprecedented moves without realizing that Republicans can take advantage of the exact same thing. The nuclear option for judicial nominees is a, start, is, is a starting point there. If Harry Reid had not done it, Mitch McConnell wouldn't have done it for Supreme Court nominees. If Barack Obama hadn't taken such liberties with executive power, Donald Trump wouldn't have been able to do the same thing. The Democrats over recent years have been doing more and more and more to build up their own power within the federal government without realizing that what they're doing is they're giving the Republicans the exact same chances if the Republicans take over. And as soon as the Republicans figure out what they've been doing wrong for the last six years and why they've been losing these election cycles, and they do get back into power with more than just the House of Representatives, and they do start doing some of these things, the Democrats will cry and they will moan and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And they will never once stop and think, well, we gave them this power. That's why Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin have never been on board with getting rid of the filibuster. Because they know that if the Republicans take a simple majority in the Senate, it's all over. That's why they don't want to expand the Supreme Court, because the Republicans can just go back and do the same thing. When you open that Pandora's box, the other party can take advantage of it when it's their turn to be in charge. And there is no such thing as permanent political majority. The Republicans will get back into power. They will sweep two of the three branches of government. Well, they already have one. They can sweep the other two and have all three branches of government. Then what happens? All this power that the Democrats have handed them, all of a sudden that becomes abusive power because it's the Republicans doing it. Joe Biden and Congress should not be involved in this fight. This is a fight between the unions and the rail companies. But Joe Biden, in an effort to save face and make his administration look better by saving us from an economic collapse due to a railway strike when supply chains are already still weak. He's only thinking about that one moment. He's not thinking about the larger implications. Never really has. And the Democrats are putting themselves into a terrible position if they go forward with this. 232-1542. Let's go ahead and take our last break of the day. When we come back... We'll have a couple more stories to get to right here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Uh, welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show. Uh, real quick, just uh, some news coming in. 
Uh, Lafayette Police Department was notified this morning of a threat made against a school administrator at Northside High. The threat was made via social media that the administrator would be shot. The school was placed on lockdown to ensure the safety of of staff and students. Investigations with the Youth Services uh, Section currently investigating the incident. In an unrelated incident yesterday, a juvenile student at Paulboro Middle was placed under arrest and into the juvenile detention home on one count of terrorizing. It stems from the bomb threat that occurred at Paulboro on October 10th. Lafayette Police Department would like to emphasize that false information or false social media threats of violence will never be tolerated under any circumstances. The situations that have occurred this week in our school systems are affecting everyone in the community and must stop. So uh, there was a threat made at Northside. We'll, I'll have a story up on that a little bit later, uh, made against an administrator. But kind of goes back to what I was saying yesterday and, and you know, last week before Thanksgiving. Uh, we've got a lot of these issues to deal with. And, and a lot of these. A lot of these threats a lot of the acts of violence, a lot of the, a lot of the threats of violence are coming from a place of just lack of 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 social uh, of social interaction. We are not socially raising our kids, right? I mean, some of us are, but as a society, we we don't seem to be because our kids seem to be slipping further and further into these extremes, and they grow up, and they're still in these extremes, and we're seeing more and more problems arise. You know, their tale of two. Washington Post's here. Before the midterm election, crime is surging in Fox News coverage. That was an analysis by uh, Washington Post uh, analyst Philip Bump. Here's a story today from the Washington Post. These are nine stories from America's homicide crisis. Do they know how obvious they're being in this? Up until the midterms, it was the, the, the crime wave, the, the crisis that they're talking about. It's all made up. It's all meant to gin up support on Fox News, all this. Now they're perfectly fine writing the stories because the midterms are over. Now we can talk about the crime situation and the homicide crisis. We can talk about these things now. Do they know how obvious they're being? Anyway, um, let's see. Diet Coke is evil. Uh, the railroad strike. Uh, there's an autopsy coming from the RNC about the, uh, about the midterms. We should get school off tomorrow because of the World Cup win. I think I hit every topic I wanted to today. That's rare. I mean, there's a couple. If you go to the, uh, if you go to the sub stack, you go to the show notes, I've got the headlines of the day. Um, there are a couple good ones to look at. I really do think you need to go and read uh, my colleague Brittany Sheehan's piece at Red State. Why Biden's call on Congress to block the rail strike is off the rails. Um, that's a really good piece that you need to go read. Um, let's see. Here's here's one. Let's end on a bright note. The bright note is another celebrity is actually fighting back against cancel culture. Uh, and this one is Helena Bonham Carter, who... Uh, I think most people right now would probably know her as uh, Bellatrix Lestrange from the Harry Potter movies. But, I mean, she's been in all sorts of Tim Burton movies, has been in all sorts of movies with Johnny Depp. Uh, She has been out there defending J.K. Rowling and Johnny Depp recently. Um, In a recent interview... She noted that the attacks on Rowling are a load of BS. And I can't, I, I can't say what she actually said, but the letters BS are involved. Um, 
It's a horrendous load of BS, said the actress. I think Rowling has been hounded. I think it's been taken to the extreme, the judgmentalism of people. She's allowed her opinion, particularly if she's suffered abuse. Everyone carries their own history of trauma and forms their opinions from the trauma. And you have to respect where people come from and their pain. You don't have, you don't all have to agree on everything. That would be insane and boring. She's not meaning it aggressively. She's saying something out of her experience. She's talking about the fact that J.K. Rowling has been outspoken as a feminist who is against transgender women coming over and biological men taking, uh, taking, essentially taking things away from women. If you have a biological male come into a sport, the biological male has an advantage over women. You cannot be, according to J.K. Rowling, it is impossible to be a feminist if you're allowing men to come over and take femininity away from you. Femininity? Femininity? How many itties are on those? I'm not sure. Femininity. If femininity is something anybody can adopt, what does it mean to be a feminist? That's what J.K. Rowling asks. Um, she also, like I said, defended Johnny Depp, thinks that Johnny Depp has basically been exonerated after the uh, defamation trial between him and Amber Heard. Uh, and she got att- and, and Helena Bonham Carter got attacked for this, and nobody would look at Helena Bonham Carter. Nobody would hear any of the things that she said and think, wow, she's some conservative right-wing nut. No, not at all. But she is somebody who believes very passionately that J.K. Rowling and Johnny Depp both have a right to say and do what they've done. And that Johnny Depp's been exonerated and that J.K. Rowling's getting unfairly attacked. And it's good to see more people standing up to that sort of thing. It's why I still read and listen to Bill Maurer. Bill Maurer and I have nothing ideologically in common, but Bill Maurer is actually reasonable enough to note when things are going crazy. And we need more of that. And on both sides, too, there need to be more Republicans who are willing to call out their own side for their own craziness. But there, there, we need more liberals who are out there saying, yeah, what you're doing is crazy to their own side. All right, guys, it's been a pleasure. Another 23 hours until we are back again here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. You can also find me on Substack, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Sign up. You can get the show notes every day, plus whatever writings I put up there. Talk to you guys again real soon. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.